In the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. As we continue now in the season of Lent, we're mindful that the theme of the season of Lent is repentance. That is, acknowledging our sin and being turned back to our Lord for his mercy. So seeing our sin not just as the sins that we do, but the sinners that we are all the way down to the heart, to the core. That our whole life and this whole world have been broken by sin and that we face the consequences of sin every day, ultimately leading to death. And all of that causes us to rightly despair of ourselves and of our sin and flee to the only answer to the Lord Jesus on the cross for us. And so that is the reflection of the Christian church throughout the year, but maybe in a heightened sense, especially in the season of Lent, as we reflect on this idea of repentance, of acknowledging the depth of our sin and the greatness of our Savior. And in keeping with that that theme, we have our gospel lesson for today from John 3, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, his teaching to them, to him. And that famous verse from John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's like if you're going to teach a verse to your children, that would be a good one, simple enough. So many people know it. You at least see it written on poster boards outside of baseball games and stuff like that. People write it down everywhere you go. Tim Tebow wrote it on his face a while back. You know, it's everywhere you go. Maybe it's cliched it's used so often, so it's helpful for us to, to maybe chew on it a little bit and reflect upon the depth of what it means that God so loves the world. And to get to that depth, Jesus walks us into John 3:16 with this, this glimpse into the Old Testament. From Numbers 21, he says, As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if you're not familiar with that story, you kind of miss out on the value of what Jesus is teaching us there. And so maybe it's helpful for us to to unpack that a little bit. We can remember the context of of Moses in the Old Testament and the people of Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And they prayed for God to set them free. Finally, he sends Moses and Moses comes and you've got the plagues and the wrath of God, the power of God rains out on Egypt and the Pharaoh lets God's people go. They get out in the wilderness and they make it all the way up to the Red Sea. And then the Pharaoh changes his mind and starts to chase down the Israelites to kill them. So then they're trapped between the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptians on the other. And they grumble, kind of maybe rightly, to Moses. Why did you lead us out here in the wilderness to die? We should have just stayed back in in Egypt. And so God tells Moses to raise his staff, and the sea opens, and the Israelites go through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then as they get through, Moses puts his staff down, and the sea closes on the Egyptians, and they all die. And in that, God's people have been set free, not just just from slavery in Egypt, but from, from death. They've been given life, and now they know that they belong to God. They are his people. He will take care of them. He will give them life. And like five minutes later, they start complaining about the lack of food, as if the God who rained down the plagues on Egypt could not provide for his people in the wilderness. So they say, Moses, we wish we were back in Egypt with those false gods, because there we could have hamburgers 
But here in the wilderness, we got nothing. And that's when God says he's going to give manna and quail. So every day, chicken sandwiches for 40 years. But at least they had chicken sandwiches. I mean, quail, chicken, all tastes the same, right? So, so they're being provided for by, by the Lord. But after eating quail and manna every day for so long, they start to grumble. And that's our context in Numbers 21. The people complain to Moses. We loathe this dreadful food. We hate this food. The food that God gave us for free, that he rained out of the sky. The way that God's providing us. We despise the way that God is taking care of us. And we want something different. We kind of wish we were back in Egypt where we could have different kinds of food. Their gods seem to be a little bit, maybe, better. And that displeased God. And so he gave them the gift of repentance, that they would turn from their idolatry and their, and their running after other gods, because the true God is a jealous God, and he wants his people with him. So he sent them snakes. Now, to pause here, and let's think about this, it wasn't like seven Israelites left Egypt. It was millions. Mass exodus, you could say. So then when God sends snakes to bite the people, it wasn't like one snake. There would have been millions of snakes all over the place, everywhere you go. Annoyingly, like you open your, you open your tent, there's snakes. You go everywhere you go, there's snakes. Everywhere you look, definitely a scary thing. What makes it even worse is it's not like a gardener snake. It's like just kind of like maybe scary if you're scared of snakes. But these snakes are actually biting. And the Hebrew is actually they're, they're, they're burning snakes. So they weren't, just, uh, they weren't just snakes, but when they would bite, it would, it would burn. And then ultimately kill them. So Numbers 21 says the people were getting bit by the snakes and they were dying. And then the people said... Moses, we've been wrong. We're sorry. Please pray to God to take away the snakes. That's the request. Moses, pray to God to take away the problem. Take away the snakes. So Moses prays, and then God gives him an answer. He says, you're going to make a bronze serpent, fashion a serpent out of bronze, put it on a stick and hold it up high, so that anyone who's been bitten by a snake can look upon this bronze serpent and live. That's kind of an odd thing, especially when the Israelites have asked, take away the snakes. And if we were God, we'd probably handle it a little bit differently. Maybe we would actually take away the snakes. I mean, God could have snapped his fingers right and gotten rid of the snakes, but he doesn't work that way here. He provides a solution to the problem just not the one that the people were expecting or wanting necessarily. And so you can kind of picture it, Moses there in his tent. They, they, they can hear him like hammering away at something. And they're out there, uh, Moses, we're getting bit by snakes. We're dying out here. Did you pray to God? Is there an answer? What's going to happen? Moses is like, yeah, we, we, this is all taken care of. Don't worry. I got an answer. Can you at least, uh, we're dying here. Can you at least tell us what's going to happen? Uh, maybe. So I'm making a snake. <laughs> Moses, I don't think we need any more snakes. We're good. 
He says, no, no, this is how God's going to take care of it. So he comes out of the tent with this weird snake on a stick. And people look at it, and they live. Just imagine if you're one of the first people to look at this thing, and healing immediately. The burning goes away. Death chased out. You're grabbing your kids then, because of course the kids are getting nailed by the snakes too. People picking up their babies, holding it up to the stick, and they're getting better. Healing brought by the Lord's hand in his way, but he didn't take away the snakes. He left the snakes and solved the problem in his way. So think if you're one of these Israelites who had been bitten by a snake, and or your family, and you're dying, and you're in fear and panic, and you go running to this snake on a stick, and it gives you life instantaneously. The burning goes away. It's problem solved. Then you turn around, because remember, God didn't take away the snakes. You turn around to go back to your tent, and what do you see there on the ground? A snake. Or you unzip your tent, you get in your sleeping bag, and what do you feel at your feet? A snake. The snakes remain, but now when your feet bump into a snake in your sleeping bag, it doesn't cause you fear. It's annoying, because now when it stings you, it's still going to burn. But you know there's an answer to this. You have to walk all the way across the camp and go to the snake on a stick. But the snake doesn't cause the same fear. You see? The snakes remain, but there's been an answer for that. Now that's the context, the immediate context of John 3.16. So just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness that would bring life to all who looked upon it, so too must the Son of Man, Jesus, be lifted up so that all who look upon him would have life. Much in the same way that the bronze serpent was a weird idea, God becoming one of us and dying is not really the way we would have thought it would happen. God coming in weakness and lowliness, taking upon himself our sin and our shame, and dying in our place. That solves the problem. It brings life into our death. It brings peace into our chaos, comfort into our trials. But he doesn't take away the snakes. So we have, going back to the theme of Lent, we know the depth of our sin. We know our problems. We know our our sin and the consequences of our sin. And so we know our, the, the broken marriages, the despair that we feel, the sickness, cancer, the suffering, and ultimately the death that awaits us. And so we, we pray to God to answer this, and he answers it with Jesus on the cross, bringing life to us, bringing healing to us, but he doesn't take away the snakes. So the cancer remains. Sicknesses remain. Trials, broken families and marriages, suffering, broken world. It remains. But he solved the problem. We know there's an answer. And so now when we turn around and bump into snakes in our lives, sickness, death, suffering, whatever the trials that we face, we know that there's an answer. We know that this problem has been solved, and now this death thing, it's just annoying. 
It will gum at us, but it can't devour us. It has been undone. It has been overcome by the Lord Jesus. And Jesus wants you to know that even though he has left the snakes, he loves you. And that's John 3, 16. God loved the world. So often it's, I mean, it's, maybe it's rightly translated, God so loved the world. But we hear that maybe in our, in our language and we think God really, really, really loved the world. It wasn't just that he loved the world, but he so loved the world. And that's true. God does really, really love the world, but that's not the Greek. The Greek here is God loved the world in this way, in this manner, colon, God sent his only son to die for us. God loved the world in this way. He doesn't love the, love the world in your way, in the way that you might think if you were God or that you'd be doing things in your way. He does it in his way. God loved the world in this way. We know that God loves us because of this, colon, Jesus died. And so now when we look at our lives, because we're often tempted to look at our lives and try to conclude based on that how much God loves us or not. Are things going well for you? Are you healthy, wealthy and wise, popular? God loves you. Or are you sick, suffering, family broken, job lost, challenges, trials? Maybe God is angry with you. Maybe God doesn't love you. And the fact is, when we look at our lives, we will find sin. All of us different to be sure, but all of us to look at our lives and measure it according to the law and find only brokenness and sickness and death and sin. So if we were to look at our lives, we might be tempted to conclude that God doesn't love us. But God says, no, no, don't look at your life for evidence that God, of whether or not God loves you. Look at the cross. God loved the world in this way. Jesus died. So now when we look at our lives, we're not surprised by the snakes that we find. We know that God loves us. We know that he's all powerful. Because the devil is just going to slither right up to us and try to tell us that He's allowing this suffering because he's mad at you. You've done something wrong and he's punishing you. Or maybe he doesn't even exist. After all, if he loves you so much, why is he allowing this challenge, this trial? Maybe he doesn't love you or he's not even there. And Jesus is anticipating the devil saying this. He says, God loves the world in this way. Jesus died. And so now we know, no matter what the trials that we face in this life, the snakes that, that Jesus allows to remain, the sufferings, the broken marriages, broken families, and ultimately the death itself, we know this has been overcome by the death of our Lord Jesus on the cross. And so now when we bump into these snakes, we know that there's an answer. It has been overcome by our Lord Jesus who remains with us as our life in this world of death as our, as our peace in the chaos. He's put his name upon us in holy baptism and he will not abandon us or forsake us. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.